Thank you, Cameron, for that. And uh, if you would take your Bibles this morning, we're going to be back in the book of of Hebrews. We've been out for a while, and uh, I kind of hoped to finish Hebrews at the end of the year and then start a new series, Uh, but it wasn't the Lord's will, obviously. So uh, we we could maybe call this like the leftovers part of the series, but uh, we just have uh, a few verses in chapter 12 and then in the next couple weeks in, in chapter 13. Um, so just a few more weeks left and then we're actually going to begin a series uh, on the Ten Commandments and I'm really looking forward to that and hope that you will be here uh, and, and uh, be able to hear that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and beginning at verse number 18. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape, When they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We have just come out of a year, uh, and a lot of people are thankful that 2020 is over with, but we've just come out of a year in which I, th- I think it would be safe to say a good character character of the the, uh, year is that a lot of things have been shaken. A lot of things have been stirred up. There there are a lot of things that seem to have changed in this past year. Many of us have been faced with the fact that, that things that once seemed certain and fixed realities to us after this past year uh, are not really certain and fixed. Hopefully this year has taught us that the things that we thought we could rely on, we cannot. Hopefully this year has been a reminder that our economic prosperity is not fixed. We need that reminder. Hopefully this year has served as a reminder that our lives are are going to come to an end. We're not invincible. Even with all of modern medicine on our side, we are not invincible. Hopefully this year has been a reminder that our nation is not a land of eternal prosperity and freedom. 
but it is a fallen and broken place that is not exempt from all of the evil and corruption that every other society has known throughout history. I know this year has been painful for many of us. It's been a difficult year, no doubt. And I'm not glad, really. I don't know that I would say I'm glad that we've gone through this. I think if I could push a button and change it, I would do it right now. But if in the process of going through this past year, we have come to a greater awareness of the realities that I just mentioned, then on that level, I guess I could say I'm glad for that. Uh, why would I be glad that, that we have this awareness that America is not forever and that our lives are fragile and that we will come to an end, that, that prosperity is not fixed? The reason I'm glad, and I hope that we have learned that lesson, surely, surely after this year we have learned that lesson, the reason I'm glad for that is because it's the truth. The truth is that we're not invincible, that we don't live forever, that our nation is not forever, that, that this world has fallen and broken. And if it took the year 2020 to remind us of that and to bring that to the forefront of our mind, then that is a good thing. That's the truth. You see, when we live with a distorted perspective about life, it inevitably influences the way that we live, right? If I have the wrong perspective, if I'm thinking the wrong way, then I act in the wrong way. So though it may be painful for us, and it's been painful for me, I'm glad that we've been faced with this reality. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians when he was writing sort of a hard letter to the Corinthians. And this is what he said, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I do regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Do you hear the Apostle Paul? He's like, I, I kind of feel bad that you're grieved. I, I wish that you didn't have to be grieved, but, but I'm kind of glad that you were grieved because in, in grieving you were led to repentance. And, and that's the way that I think about this past year. Uh, I, I kind of hate that we've all been through this and we're still all going through the things that we're going through. And, and yet... If it's leading us to repent of sinful, wrong ways of thinking, then, then I'm not glad, then, then I'm not uh, sad that, that we've been grieved. That, that's a good thing if it leads to repentance. My prayer is that this year has led us to repent of a sinful perspective that treats our here and now existence as if that's all there is. And maybe for you uh, this year that has You've been reminded of that. Let me, just as we dive into this text, and, and I'll show you where we're going with this, I, I just want to ask the question, what is real? What is real? One of the things I think we'll see in this text is really the idea that the spiritual is greater or, in a sense, more real than the physical. I, I want to deal sort of with one of the underlying assumptions of this text, and that is that the spiritual is more real in the sense that it is greater and more lasting than the physical world that, as it is now. You see, as, as physical beings, we have some limitations in understanding reality, don't we? First of all, one of the limitations that we have is that we only that we tend to only accept the things which we can actually see and experience through our senses as reality. 
Things that are not experienced through the senses don't seem real to us. That's a limitation. It's a limitation because there, there is a reality beyond the physical realm. But you and I are limited to experiencing the physical realm for the most part, except by divine revelation. And so it's a, it's a physical limitation. And the second limitation goes along with that. Uh, and that is that the things that we do not, ex- or the things we do experience through our senses are the things that we tend to view as real and lasting. So to us, the physical realm seems like that's real. And anything that isn't physical kind of seems like that doesn't really seem real. I have faith. Maybe I, I try to believe in these things, but, but they don't seem as real to us as the things that are tangible. In our minds, then, we may be tempted to view, for illustration, our dog as more real than God. Now, that sounds crazy, isn't it? But, but isn't that the case sometimes? That, in a sense, uh, when, when we're not living by faith, our dog could seem more real to us than God. Why is that? Well, that's the case because we can see our dog and we can touch our dog and, and, and we can pet our dog and we can hear our dog bark. And, and because we can interact with our dog through, the, through our senses and, and, and have that physical experience, that seems real to us. But God, we, we, we can't see God. God is a spirit. Uh, God's spoken to us in his word, but often uh, typically doesn't speak to us audibly. And, and so we don't hear his voice in, in that audible kind of way. And so for, for many of us, on a day-to-day basis, we live our lives in, in, in light of the reality that our dog is real more than we do that God is real because our dog is physical and we can experience him through our senses. That's an astounding error because God is real. He is reality. He's the ultimate reality. God is infinite and God is eternal and he's the creator of all creatures. He's omniscient and he's all wise. Our dog is a creature. He's limited. His existence is only for a brief time. He knows nothing even compared to humans, let alone compared to an all-wise God. So the only explanation for such a foolish way of looking at reality is that so often we just look at reality through our senses. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because this passage pushes against that assumption. The, the assumption uh, that what is real and true is what can be seen and heard, and that those things which cannot be touched are somehow not as real as or, or true. Instead, this passage asserts that we as New Covenant believers, we as, as Christians, have come to really participate in spiritual realities, and that those realities are greater and are more real, they're truer than the physical world that we inhabit because those realities are eternal. Do do you live your life? I I mean, is that the assumption that you're working on? I think most of us, uh, unfortunately, live our lives mostly with the assumption that what is real is the physical realm. And that the spiritual realm, we like to believe and think about it, but but it doesn't really impact our days. But but the writer of Hebrews is writing with an assumption that, that what is really true what, what is the ultimate reality is this spiritual realm and that this physical realm that we live in is temporary, it is lesser, and it is passing away. 
And I think he would have us then live with that kind of mindset. This simple principle then is that spiritual realities are eternal and therefore more real than physical realities. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Talking about some of the trials he's, he's gone through. He says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our physical bodies are wasting away. Yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And now listen to these words. As we look not to things that are seen. Paul says, I I live my life. I'm not looking at the things that can be seen. I'm not looking at the physical realm as, as what is ultimate. We look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Paul, how do you look at things that are unseen? Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? Well, he's, he's looking through eyes of faith. But, but you see what he's saying here, that the things that are unseen are really what drive him, that they are what motivates him in the mission that God has given him. Not the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. He goes on to say this in that passage. He says, for the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're just here today gone tomorrow they're they're passing away the things that you can see they're passing away your physical body this this world is passing away but the things that are unseen are eternal that's reality that's what's true that's what's most important and that's what you ought to live your life for not the here and now the things that you can see and experience with your senses but the things that are unseen that you can only see with eyes of faith that's what ought to weigh on you. I think that's the assumption that the writer of Hebrews is working at, and I think that's what the assumption that we ought to live our lives with, what scripture would call us to. So the application of that principle is this. We should allow, therefore, these spiritual realities to shape the way that we live our lives and influence where we place our value, what, what, what we hold as important. Now, let's dive into this passage because what, what the writer of Hebrews does here is, is he makes this point that I've just tried to share with you and explain to you. Uh, he, he makes this point by comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. You know your Bibles. We've been in Hebrews long enough. Hopefully you remember that, that the, the, all of history really, but the Bible is divided into these two eras, the, these two epochs, periods of time. Uh, the Old Covenant and the New t- Covenant, the, the time of promise and the time of fulfillment. As Christians, we live in the New Covenant era. And so the, the book of Hebrews really is all about kind of comparing and contrasting these two eras and showing how these t- this time of promise has passed away and that the fulfillment, the greater, truer spiritual fulfillment to the Old Covenant has come. The Old Covenant what we're going to see in these verses is that the old covenant was physical, that it was a time of promise, and that it was temporary, and that the new covenant realities, they they are spiritual, they are the substance of of those promises, they're the actual uh, promises that were made, and they are eternal. So the old covenant was physical, the new covenant is spiritual. 
When we think about the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was a covenant in which really God, in, in a certain way, met man on his own terms. It, it was a covenant that although it did have spiritual realities, it was not as if there were no spiritual realities to the Old Covenant. Uh, it certainly did. But it most often expressed itself in physical terms. Just look back to the Old Covenant, right? It's very physical. We have God speaking audibly. He, he sent angels to meet with his people. He did miraculous signs. He, as we just read about here in this passage, he met with Moses on Mount Sinai. And he physically wrote the Ten Commandments, his law, in a tablet of stone that could be seen and touched. And when that happened, as, as the writer of Hebrews here reminds us of that scene, it was a great uh, ominous scene this cloud descends down on the mountain and and thunder and lightning and a great wind is all around you, you see it could be seen and heard right it, it, it was a way in which God interacted with people in a very physical uh, way we could go on in in the Old Testament he, he made his presence known through fire and the cloud as the people left the land of Egypt and traveled through the wilderness he gave them instructions about building a tabernacle. And, and when it was completed, God made his presence known in, in a physical way by allowing that same cloud to descend down on this tabernacle. And God was saying, hey, physically, I am here with you in this place, right? This was a physical place where God dwelled. And then God gave them in his laws all kinds of rituals, all kinds of things that they did that they could see and taste and touch and smell. They, they had washings that they did. They had sacrifices. They, they had food regulations. Uh, they had regulations about what they wore, the kind of clothing that they would wear. They, they had the command for circumcision. All of those things targeted the senses, the physical dimension of human beings. You see, God was real, revealing spiritual realities in a very tangible physical way and this is precisely the point being made in our text he emphasizes here the distinction between the physical nature of the old covenant and the spiritual nature of the new covenant look at our text we've been kind of circling around for a while why don't we just come to the text and notice in verse number 18 he says here in verse number 18 you have not come to what may be touched so he's talking to New Covenant believers. He's saying, you all have not come to something that can be touched. And then he goes on to depict this, this scene in which God gave the law to Moses. God met Moses on Mount Sinai. And there was thunder and there was lightning and they were warned. The people were warned, don't even go and touch the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain because of God's holiness, that person would be stoned. They, they would die as a result of that. And, and so it was a very physical thing. And he's saying, you have not come, New Covenant believer, you have not come to something which may be touched. Fire and darkness and gloom and the sound of a trumpet and the voice. You see all these things that are dealing with the senses? It's something that you could see, something that you could feel, something that you could hear. You have not come to what may be touched. And then look at verse number 22. Verse number 22 but you have come to Mount Zion. Now, now he, he kind of doesn't state it there. The, the old covenant, he says, you, you have not come to things that could be touched. 
In the old covenant, there were so many things that could be touched. They were physical things. But he says, you have, you have come, and we could almost supply the word, you have come to something that cannot be touched. Right? You have come to physical or to spiritual realities. So you have not come to what may be touched in the new covenant. You have uh, come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and so forth. And, and he begins to just name all of these realities. They're real. They're as real as you and I sitting here. But they're things that we cannot see. They're things that we cannot touch. They're, they're things that we do not experience in that physical way, at least for now. This is much the point of, of Hebrews, is this contrast between the Old Covenant and, and the New Covenant. The rituals of the Old Covenant were physical representations of greater spiritual realities. In the New Covenant, the spiritual reality has come and supplanted the physical representation. Now, isn't, that, isn't it striking that as you compare these two covenants, the Old Covenant seemed real. It seemed more tangible. There were sacrifices. There was a tabernacle. There's all these physical things. That seemed real, but it wasn't the reality. Those were just representations that were pointing to something greater. And all through the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is making that point again and again. Here's this tabernacle where you all say God dwell. That tabernacle is just a picture of the throne room of God in heaven. That's the reality. Even though it's spiritual and it doesn't seem as real to us, that's the reality. This physical thing was just a physical representation of that reality. What about the sacrifice? The priest would would slaughter a, a lamb or a goat and then take it into the tabernacle and take it into this, this physical representation of the throne room of God. That seemed very real and very tangible. You could see it and touch it and smell it and later they would eat it. You could taste it, right? There, it, it dealt with all of the senses. But, but the writer of Hebrews makes very clear all throughout the, the book that that wasn't the reality. That was just a physical representation. The reality is when Jesus ascended into heaven, into the throne room of God with his own blood as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the reality, although it's spiritual. Do you see the, the contrast there? So the old covenant was physical, yet it was not the reality. It seemed maybe more real, but it wasn't real. The new covenant is spiritual, but it is the reality. So, so the point of all this is that we're often tempted to think of the physical material expressions as, as what is real and, and tangible, as what well, maybe we would even prefer, but we need to understand that that's not the way reality is. The old covenant was a promise. The new covenant was substance. You notice in verse number 22, again, you have come to these realities. Right now, believers, we are participating. We're going to talk about those realities here in a minute, this, this angelic gathering and this heavenly Jerusalem and all of these things. But, but notice what he's saying here is, is although it's spiritual, it, it's a fulfillment of these promises and you enjoy these things right now. This is why one, one of the central themes of Hebrews is that that Jesus and the new covenant is better. When, when you compare these two periods of history, the new covenant period is one in which we come to actually participate and enjoy the experiences of the things that were promised. We live in the age of fulfillment. Now, many of us think it doesn't seem like God's promises have been fulfilled because we're not in heaven yet and, 
we haven't fully realized them, but, but we need to understand this from a New Testament perspective. We live in the age of fulfillment where in, in, in a certain way, we really have already begun to experience the, the pouring out of God's promises upon his people. All throughout the old covenant, there were promises, promises, promises. In the new covenant now, those promises have been inaugurated. We haven't fully received everything, have we? Uh, we're still waiting for a fuller and a greater fulfillment of these things, and yet we really are experiencing the things that these promises pointed to. The old covenant was promised. The new covenant is substance. The old covenant was temporary. The new covenant and its realities are eternal. This starts to get the heart of, of this distinction. That which is created, the cosmos, is, is going to be shaken. It, it is going to be destroyed. Look at verse number uh, 26. Let's jump down to, to uh, verse 26. And it says, at this time his voice shook the earth. Talking about that scenario, that scene from Moses and uh, when, when God spoke to Moses, there's an earthquake, there's all of these things. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And so that's a, a, a quote from an Old Testament prophet. Uh, and it's speaking about God's judgment in that time period. But, but what he's saying is that that really becomes a paradigm for this final judgment in which God is going to shake not only the earth, but the entire cosmos. And, and then the writer of Hebrews explains what that really means. He says this phrase yet once more, it's only going to happen one more time, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. It's not going to be shaken anymore because this is going to be sort of a final shaking. This is going to be a time in which, and he goes on to, to explain this, that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And I missed the, the main thing I should have read there. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. And, and the things that are going to be shaken, he says, are the things that are made, this created order, this world that we live in, this universe that we live in, this physical realm that seems so real, like this is the only reality. This is all there is, right? No, the, the writer of Hebrews says these things are going to be shaken and, and all of it's going to vanish away. It's going to be destroyed and only the things that cannot be shaken, these spiritual realities, those are the only things that are going to remain. This is in line, really, with the rest of Scripture, this idea that this physical world is going to be uh, undergo a, a destruction of sorts. In Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the end of the age, Matthew 24, 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. He's giving a prophecy about the, the end time. He's saying heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And he goes on to say in verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Again, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 34 says, All the host of heaven shall rot away. The skies roll up like a scroll. All their host shall fall as leaves from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. And then John, in, in his revelation of, of the end times, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, this is a biblical perspective. This world that we're living in, this world that we cling to, this world that we think this is real, and I'm not sure if God's real, I'm not sure if these spiritual things are real, but I know this is real. No, no, no. Biblical perspective, flip that upside down. What is truly real is God and these spiritual realities. And, and this world is something that is temporary. It's something that's passing away. It's something that when, when Jesus returns and we enter into this time of final judgment, God is just going to shake. And it's all just the, the picture there is just like everything kind of falling to the ground. And only things that are eternal are going to last. Everything else is going to fall to, its, to the side. This helps us understand really why the spiritual is greater than the physical. And notice for us believers, look at verse number 28. What, what hope do we have if this is reality, if this world is going to be shaken and, and destroyed? Well, look at verse number 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You, you see, when we are believers when we enter into the kingdom of Christ when when God saves us we we participate in uh, we begin to be part of some spiritual realities that are going to last for eternity when, when Jesus returns and when this world is shaken and everything falls to the ground so to speak there are things that are going to remain and it's this kingdom that cannot be shaken well, let's look here. There are a couple of unshakable realities. I think that's what we need after a year like this. And hopefully we've been reminded of what I've been preaching here, that this world is, is temporary. Ho hopefully that's been set on the forefront of our mind. But, but in, in light of that, don't we need some things that, are, that can't be shaken? Don't, don't we need some things that we can cling to and hold to? And that's what he tells us that we have. Those of us who are New Covenant believers, look at what he says now in uh, verse number 22. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We see a couple of unshakable realities. There are several things that are mentioned there. I'm kind of gr grouping them in, in two categories. This is the first unshakable reality that we have as new covenant believers. Th these are the things that we can cling to, the things that will not pass away on that great judgment day when God shakes the earth. The first is this, we have a home in heaven. We have a home in heaven with God and his people. That's an unshakable reality. He, he mentions here, 
Zion, and he says Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And when we think about Zion, Zion is this place that is depicted in the Old Testament. It was part of Jerusalem up on a hill. Uh, there were a couple of hills there, and Zion was sort of the tallest one, the, the one that was uh, most well defended and most secure. And, and so the Old Covenant people would often speak of Zion in sort of idyllic ways, uh, and, it, and it began to take on not just a physical location, but, but it, it began to take on throughout the prophets and in the Psalms th- this ideal place that where, where all of God's promises would be fulfilled. The, the whole idea is that God is there and that because God is there with his people, then his people are blessed and they are secure. They live in prosperity. They live in peace and, and God is with them. And that's the whole idea uh, of Zion. Well, we know, if you read the scripture, right, that the, the ideal of Zion is fulfilled in heaven. And that's why he groups all of those things together you've come to mount zion to the city of the living god not this place on earth where where god said he dwelled in in the tabernacle or in the temple but to the true city of god and he goes on to explain that to the heavenly jerusalem this is the reality the heavenly jerusalem the true place where god dwells with his people that's a reality that we have it's an unshakable reality some of us, as we live in our country, and we, we see things starting to deteriorate. And, and the country that we thought we once lived in and some of the peace, as I mentioned earlier, we, we've come to realize that we don't live in a place of eternal peace and prosperity and freedom anymore, right? We, we begin to see things sort of going in directions that, that we don't think are good. Well, listen, that's a shakable reality. The United States is a shakable reality. This entire world is a shakable reality. But listen, you and I have a home in heaven with God, this Zion, this heavenly city, and that's an unshakable reality. Let's put our hope there. He says here as well, we've, we've come to these innumerable angels gathered in celebration all throughout uh, the New Testament. We see this idea that angels are are sort of watching and celebrating at what God is doing in redeeming his people. Peter talks about the fact that they long to look into to what God is doing. They, they find it wonderful. And Jesus said that when, when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. Well, it, when they rejoice because we repent, there's an even greater rejoicing as God's people begin to enter their eternal home. And that's the picture here. Here is Zion where God is dwelling with his people and people are entering into this eternal city to dwell with their God. They've been redeemed and the angels there are celebrating. They're gathered innumerable angels and they're worshiping God and praising him and celebrating at the work of redemption. That's an unshakable reality. And he says, you've come to the assembly of the firstborn. That word assembly is just the same word that where we get the word church. And so we belong to this group. We belong to this congregation. We belong to a group of God's people. And we notice here that it is the church of the firstborn or the assembly of the firstborn. And you know in the Bible that the firstborn is the one who inherits the promises. They're, they're the one who inherits all of the father's uh, stuff. And so when, when he refers to us as the congregation of the firstborn, what, what he's saying is we're those who inherit all of God's blessings, all of God's promises. 
Ultimately, we know that Jesus really is the firstborn, but, but we're in Christ, and so we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We inherit all of God's promises and all of God's blessings. That's an unshakable reality. As well, he says that our names have been written down, that, that we're enrolled in heaven. What, what a wonderful reality to know, isn't it? As we, as we start to lose hope with what's going on in this world, isn't it? good to know that your name is enrolled as a citizen in this heavenly city with God. What a wonderful, unshakable reality. In fact, Jesus told us that we ought to rejoice about that. He was talking to his disciples and they were casting out demons and they were all excited. And they're like, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. And he said, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. That unshakable reality ought to cause us to rejoice this morning. And he says as well that we've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The righteous are those who are God's people, not that they have their own righteousness, but they stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and, and they are the righteous who have been made perfect. That means that they had completed their course. That they've been removed from this world of sin and they've entered into the presence of God. They've, they've been made perfect. And that's a reality. Isn't it good to know that reality? Isn't it good as we, as we just think about all of the death that's occurring around us? And sometimes that's so sad. But isn't it wonderful to know that those who die in the Lord, they're not gone forever. That they've just gone to this place where they're enrolled, this city with, with God. They've been made perfect. And we've come to that. We, we participate in that. We share in that reality. And so unshakable reality, number one, is that we have a home in heaven with God and with his people. Unshakable reality, number two, is this, that we have peace with God through Jesus, our mediator. He says that you've come to God, the judge of all. Now, when we look at this scenario in the Old Covenant where God's people were afraid to even come up and touch the mountain, that should maybe give us a certain sense of fear and trepidation, the fact that he says you have come to God who is the judge of all. But what we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews is that our sins have been washed away, that the Lamb has shed his blood for us, that, that we've been made right with God, who's the judge of all, that we have nothing to fear as we stand before the Lord because atonement has been made for our sins. And so even as we come to God, who is the judge of all, we don't come with the same kind of fear and trepidation, the same kind of terror that the people of the old covenant had. We come with, with rejoicing. We've come to God, who is the judge of all. And he goes on to say in verse number 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have come to this greatest of all realities, Jesus, who has shed his blood for us. In Hebrews, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for who offered himself to purify our conscience and we stand accepted because of him I like what he says here that his word speaks his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel you remember Cain and Abel and and Abel was killed and, and it said in Genesis that that the blood of Abel is crying out 
justice needed to be met. His blood was crying out for justice, crying out for vindication. But the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for justice. The blood of Jesus cries out for our forgiveness. It speaks for our forgiveness, and it secures that. Therefore, as the Apostle Paul says, that we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the unshakable realities. And as we close this morning, it's so easy, isn't it, to just focus on what's going on in this world. That's, that's the realm that we live in. It's real. It's not unimportant. And I wanted to say that earlier. It's not as if the physical world is not real. There's been all kinds of heretical errors throughout Christian history where people acted as if the physical world was sort of evil or, or not uh, important. It is important. But, but what we just need to have an eye to and understand is that there are some greater realities than the things that we can see and touch and hear and taste. This home in heaven, this, the fact that we're reconciled to God, these are the realities that we need to rest on, especially as we begin to see the world around us shaking. And if we know anything from Scripture, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more we're going to see things in this world shaking. The, the more people who are going to be uh, martyred for their faith, the more persecution that's going to come, the, the more difficult it's going to get for us as believers. It's not getting easier. And, and if we have all of our hopes attached to this physical world, to the things that we can see, we're going to be shaken along with the world. We need some unshakable hope this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these realities that you've given to us. Lord, we confess that so often um, we, we just live by sight and not by faith. We're the opposite of the Apostle Paul. We, we too often look to what can be seen rather than what cannot be seen. I pray, Lord, for us in this upcoming year that you would give us eyes of faith that would look to what is unseen and that we would pin all of our hopes and, and that we would live our lives in light of the reality of these unshakable realities, that these things that you've given us that are, are in every way more real than this physical world. God, we just pray that you would grant this faith to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.